Hello everyone, it's Thursday the 17th of August and welcome to episode 168 of the Kite Podcast with me Ben Eagle and me Will Evans. With the news confirmed a couple of weeks ago that CF Fertilisers is permanently closing its ammonia production plants at Billingham on Teesside, we thought we'd take a look at the nitrogen situation generally, especially in the context of the current market situation and what it might mean for farmers looking at forward purchases. To discuss this, we're joined by Finley Hawkins, who is Southern Fertiliser Business Development Manager at Frontier Agriculture. Kite's principal consultant and Kite podcast mystic, Paul Mesa, is also with us, as well as producer and senior consultant at Kite, Becky Leach. Everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Wilkland, is still on holiday. I think we're beginning we're to... Still. Just, I know, I'm beginning to suspect he's actually retired, Ben. But uh, here we send in his report um, from uh, Southern Ireland, and so we will hear from him uh, now. Well, I'm still in beautiful Ireland this week, in cow country of Cork, to be precise. And the last few days, the weather has been beautiful, I have to say. So I'm now going to tell you why that is, A, interesting and B, important. Because these last few days have probably been the best few days of the summer so far. The rest apparently have been miserable. You can tell that from the cereal crops, many of which have yet to be harvested and look shocking. I don't know whether arable farmers ever write off crops, but some don't look worth harvesting to me. The grassland farmers have also had an awful time of it. But right now, it's not a case of 10 men went to mow, went to mow a meadow. It's every man and his collie mowing every meadow in sight. And I'm damn sure I saw one carting forage. For a few farmers, for lucky few, it will be third cut. But others, second cut because it has been so damn wet. With this in mind, and with the milk price being what it is here and everywhere, it's hard to see monster milk volumes coming this winter. In fact, the latest data shows Ireland produced 1% less in June than last year. But to the market... And I have to start with the GDT. Blimey, a fall of 7.4% across all commodities. The biggest drop since May 2022. It took the average commodity price to $2,875, the lowest price since May 2020, and the first time it has fallen below $3,000 since September of that year. Uh, All in all, prices on the platform have now fallen nearly a fifth since May. Uh, Traders say it wasn't altogether unsurprising as Fonterra has put additional volumes onto the platform at a time of very weak demand. A whole milk powder took the biggest hit with a drop of 10.9% to 2,550. The lowest price since August 2016. So how serious is this for UK uh, and EU farmers for that matter? 
Well, there's no sugar coating over the fact that this is terrible for New Zealand, but it is less terrible for them than it could have been were it not for the fact that the New Zealand dollar has fallen against the US dollar. GDD prices are in US dollars, so this takes the edge off the price falls in local currency terms. And because of that, Bank of New Zealand reckons the auction dropped effectively 3.4% for New Zealand farmers. And it's also not as bad as it initially looks for the UK. Reason one, we don't make whole milk powder. Lakeland do in Northern Ireland. Yew tree might a bit at times, but it's not a major product for us. A reason two, skim milk powder overall fell 5.2%, but Arla's skim powder only dropped 2%, and currency changes mean it's actually little different to what it was a month ago. At this auction, it sold for $2,375, which equates to €2,170, Euros, and nearly £1,900. Uh, make no mistake, that's still a rubbish price, but it's not as rubbish as the headline GDT drop might initially suggest. So a month ago, Arla's skim powder sold for €2,185. Euros. Nobody liked it, but nobody panicked. This time around, Arla's powder sold for a tenner less. Uh, butter dropped 3% as well. Again, we don't like it, but it is what it is. In conclusion, therefore, yes, the DDT is bad. It will do nothing for sentiment, but my advice is don't panic. The headline 7.4% drop looks awful, but the impact on the UK should be and will be less. Nevertheless, it won't do anything for your milk price and no one can rule out further price drops, I'm afraid. Uh, on the EU markets, the Dutch Dairy Board dropped its price 30 euros to 4,370 euros. And I've seen spot trades going at 4,400 euros. So these aren't materially different to those before the GDT auction. The UK price is around 3,800 sterling. Uh, Dutch skim powder fell another 40 euros to 2,190 euros. And that, together with butter, converts to a pretty cheerless 27p. Hence my comment about further milk price falls, potentially. If the real market hasn't reacted too badly so far... The futures predicted, predictably did in New Zealand. Whole milk powder down $150 on average over the next six months. Skim milk powder down a little more, butter down $100. But EU butter hardly flinched with very little difference between pre- and post-GDT prices. The skim powder only dropped 30 euros to to 2280 uh, euros over the next 6 months and again those prices are 
27 to 28p in milk price terms. Uh, I'm not hearing much change on cream, still in the low to mid 60s, but I think spot milk may have weakened to the low to mid 30 pence range. Uh, I've not got a decent steer on cheese, I'm afraid. Gouda trades I'm seeing at 3,380 euros, not brilliant. Curd at 3,750, which put miles at around 3,400 sterling at best. I'll have a better idea next week uh, when I'm back home. So there you are, hopefully some less bad comments about the GDT than you were expecting to hear. But still, not good ones. Just thank your lucky stars you aren't a New Zealand farmer. Or for that matter, an Irish one, with the awful summer they've had. Goodbye. Chris Walkland on holiday, still. Hopefully, I'm hoping we'll see him next week. Finley, welcome to the podcast. Uh, can you introduce yourself, first of all, and tell us a bit about what you do at Frontier? Yeah, absolutely, Ben. And thanks very much. You know, good opportunity to to talk through the, the here and now on on markets and a bit of um, focusing on, on CF specially. But myself, um, working for Frontier um, Agriculture, uh, inputs outputs business from from grain uh, all the way through to fruit seed and our chem. But my my focus and my area of interest and, and my career is within fertilizer and and more broadly crop nutrition. Um, so my role within Frontier and where my interest has been for a number of years is both a hybrid of the commercial aspect and then also the technical aspect. So in the in the day to day would be sourcing particular products for the business from solid liquids, foliars, and pricing products for our internal and external customers. But then a technical aspect where it becomes um, far more interesting is, is our crop nutrition trials, new novel and, and interesting products that are entering the market, uh, what we can take from a crop plot uh, trial-based all the way through to a commercial release into the, into the the wider um, products so real wide ranging of options and um, there's always something new coming to market and something of interest that we all want to be talking about looking at and, and, and discovering we are of course talking about fertilizer today mostly um, because of the news from billingham so i wonder if we can turn to that now yeah can you just give us an update on the situation what happened but also sort of put this in context i suppose yeah i think um I think we'll start it off by um, doing a little trip down memory lane uh, was my thought in terms of where we have come from in, in, in the nitrogen market. Um, so if we, we cast our mind back to summer 2021, and I'm talking about this just purely from a, a fertilizer or, or nitrogen perspective. So summer 2021, we had the new season reset at the time. Um, which, which from a grower perspective, didn't particularly feel like a reset. There wasn't much of an adjustment from the spring 21 price to the summer 2021 price. And the primary reason for that was at the time gas price. And the gas price has been consistently talked about and still talked about today from a nitrogen perspective. Fast forward to autumn 2021, where there was a significant spike in the gas price. Um, CF and all European ammonium nitrate 
um, producers, so it's not just the UK, uh, switched off plants, significantly curtailed production. And we were in a scenario where we had UK and European buyers of AN and they couldn't buy or price anything because of concerns from a manufacturer perspective. And that was kind of the, the catalyst or, or the start of the changes for AM producers and in particular CF. Because it was at that point, uh, if we think back, where they started to make their decision around the closure of the INTS plant in Cheshire. So that was a kind of first stage for our UK disruption, where all of a sudden there were no more NS or NPK products that were produced in the UK that we'd all been used to um, in terms of mainstay brands. And they became a primary nitrogen producer. Um, so that's the kind of 2021 news. You fast forward again and the spring of 22 was the, the, the terrible first challenges around the Russia-Ukraine that we all felt in terms of um, households, you know, cost of food through our farmers in terms of grain markets and fur pricing. And we saw rocket levels um, of cost of production of, of AN for a manufacturer. Um, move through again in terms of summer of 2022, where we talk about that reset, that new season of fertilizer, um, where there was a reset, admittedly from 900 and something pounds per tonne for ammonium nitrate down to 600 and something. And growers really started to look at other third options. So there was a big increase in urea purchase um, over ammonium nitrate due to a cost of production, big changes in nitrogen sulfur product choices. And we really started to see the product polysulfate come online as a main product option as a sulfur source. Um, then the key focus, and as we moved on, or key points would be around autumn 2022, another peak as we continued to see gas price spike. And then fast forward again to uh, the spring of 2023, gas price started to relax. And then we're here to summer 2023, where we've seen a reset again down to AN levels that we would kind of feel as if they're the norm. Um, and I have told a bit of a story there to realise how much we've seen in terms of ups and downs and volatility and changes. But in actual fact, um, Ben, come back to your question there around CF um, and their, their formal announcement. Um, they have actually been importing ammonia from the US for about 10 to 12 months. So our, our growers, um, our buyers are movers of AN for the last 12 months, we've been in a scenario where we haven't been relying on, on UK gas for ammonium nitrate production in the UK for nearly a year. And the production has not been disrupted. Uh, if anything, it's probably in the best and the most consistent that it has been for a number of years. Mm. Um, but this is a more of a formal confirmation. This is what they're doing, you know, a commitment to the market that actually they can um, produce a sustainable um, product um, for UK agriculture. So just to be clear with that, then in, in reality, useful headline, big headline, but actually situation hasn't really changed much. No, no. And if you dig in a little bit, Ben, because there was a lot in the headlines, wasn't there, around um, the alarms for the UK around CO2, because one of the co-products, by-products of um, when, you, when you burn air with gas, which essentially that is the first process to produce ammonium nitrate, huge amounts of energy, the byproduct is CO2. 
and that CO2 was going into drinks, was going into um, foods um, in terms of storage of. So the UK government at the time stepped in. But if we think that the CF have been using ammonia from the States for 12 months, the UK government have got other sources of CO2 that they're supplying. So there was that major supply disruption um, at the time, but that's all settled down and we're into a much better pattern. But yeah, Ben, it was, um, it's been happening anyway. And actually, I think for longer term, it's, it's going to be a lot more positive and consistent supply. Thanks for that, I think it's been a really useful summary. Paul, mm-hmm. let's bring this into context for listeners. Um, so we're mid-season now. Um, people might be thinking about forward purchases for the next season. Um, can you just give us a snapshot of the market at the moment? Um, yep, yeah, we saw the um, saw the new season prices emerge um, sort of later on in May, early June. Um, there was a very short window where th- sort of prices in the three twenties were uh, uh, were available, um, but they came and went very quickly. Uh, since then, there's been um, a few more releases, but the general trend has been slightly higher um, each time. And um, I'm sure Finn will put me right, but I think um, we're now looking at around about 365 for UK AN um, for, um, for, for for the coming winter. So uh, a steady increase. Um, as far as the, um, the, f- the future is concerned, then I think it, yeah, it is largely gas price related, but um, perhaps Finn will be better placed to, uh, to uh, look in his crystal ball on that one than I will be. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Finn's mystic, mystic, yeah, mystic Finn this week. I think. What's the outlook from your point of view? Yeah, I'll. Um, there'll be a tiny element of mystic Finn, um, Ben and Paul, but um, there's a couple of facts initially. So um, we've referenced both myself and Paul around the gas price, and the gas price as of today, you know, ninety odd pence a therm. Um, let's compare that to the peak in the last couple of years that was about six pound forty a therm. So we are significantly below, but we're not, you know, we're still about double our previous 2021 levels. So we're still at a elevated level. Um, and there's a lot of um, goings on still in terms of the gas trade. Um, the reason we started on gas is because when you look at the quarter four for 2023 on projected gas price, it's about £1.30, £1.40 a therm. So it's already projected to be above where we are today. So I'm just reinforcing more Paul's point around that, yeah, you would therefore um, assume that that AN price would rise as we head towards the the winter because the cost of production for all ammonia nitrate producers, whether it's CF here in the UK or a European producer that's importing product into UK, their cost of production will increase. Yeah. So um, I know you mentioned um, that in theory there should be a more consistent supply now, Finn. But could could there still be challenges when it comes to availability? You know, we've obviously seen that a lot over the last year or two. Yeah, it, um, for sure. We're still in a what you describe as a very tight nitro market, European wide. Mm-hmm. Um, and the simple reason that is all of these manufacturers, European. Um, Predominantly, I've been playing catch up since they've had curtailed production due to cost of production. Um, we've had influences of um, the urea impact from Egypt and reduced production there. So, so 
you would still describe it as a tight supplied AN market. And because of that, then that is where we do see the likelihood of bigger jumps, should there be a reason to, and more reactive jumps, I'd say, well. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is a tight supply, but if nothing else happens and we have a gradual progression of gas price towards the winter, we'll see, still see this small step. Um, but again, come back to Paul's point on that start price of, you know, the low, um, you know, 320 or so. We've we've moved up 30, 40 pounds a tonne um, already. And then with an elevated suggestion that it will just incrementally move as you head towards the winter if if nothing else um happens here's here's to nothing else happening i'm tired of volatility <laughs> but uh, paul while while you're here can we get um your picture of how this season has been so far and what people have in their clumps in terms of forage i mean it's been a phenomenal year for grass growth and maize hasn't it absolutely um you know it couldn't be more different from what we saw last year yeah um you know, some massive first cuts taken in mid-May once the weather picked up. And, um, you know, then we had that sort of little hiatus through the latter part of May and June when the D word reared, it, reared its ugly head again. Um, yeah. But since it started raining at the beginning of July, the grass growth had been you know, nothing short of phenomenal, really. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the multi-cutters have hit the weather windows just right. Um, and they've got really big stocks of top quality forage um i was on a farm yesterday they'd cut on the first of may first of june first of july and i called the third cut and you know it i could have eaten it from a lunch it was absolutely fantastic um but on the you know on the other hand i think there's probably the majority of farms will be sitting on big stocks of first cut which probably average at best um so the larders are well and truly replenished um, but some of the more mature silages are going to take a bit of chewing through. Um, and obviously the weather through July when there was, you know, barely a two day window put together for the whole month was very, very trying, um, both for, um, you know, the, the arable guys wanting to get stuck into uh, their harvest, but also for, um, you know, for, for silage making as well. So that one was quite a difficult one. Um, on the, excuse me, on the maize front, then crops uh started off looking very very variable um backward crops caught up in the last three to four weeks and driving around the countryside over the last 10 days or so there are some fantastic looking crops um across the midlands um especially further west you know into staffordshire and shropshire um absolutely incredible uh looking uh, uh looking fields of maize um if they get some sun and warm weather during Cobfield, then we could see some great crops. Um, and colleagues across the country are reporting, you know, a similar story. There is some variation, but um, things are looking a lot better than they were um, probably five, six weeks ago on the maize front. And I guess the only downside perhaps would be that with all this vegetative growth, if we don't get some sun, um during during cob fill then starch contents could be down but um again another another you know potentially clamp clamp busting crop really um in terms of volume miss the um you know the the maize looks fantastic and all been well will come off fantastic and you've talked a little bit about 
forage and, and you're right, the larder is replenished. That does pose a little bit of a challenge, doesn't it? Because what you know, the, there's there's a it's very growy at the moment, or it certainly is up up north. And then almost, you know, what what do you what do you do? You know, we've talked internally in the business about sort of re- climate resilience and having some holdover forage stocks. But um, I don't know about down south, but up north, actually, travelling's quite tricky on some ground. You know, it's growing well, it's warm, but we're still getting some some big downpours. So, so, so what is the risk-reward strategy, probably, is my question. Nice, easy one. Yeah, um, <laughs> based, yeah, based, you know, based on based on what we've seen, then um, my normal philosophy would be, yeah, you know, if it's there, take it. Um, and you know, we have we have got this very very growy season, and you know, let's put let's put some you know let's put some fodder in the bank, as it were. Um, I take on board your point about traveling conditions and as i say you know that that has been an issue which has caused the um uh you know these bigger crops of more more mature stuff to be taken um you know some second and even third cuts being taken now are you know well past the best um so yeah it's um it's it's the it's playing the patient game trying to uh trying to look for the long term but um yeah, certainly. I wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't be saying, you know, ringing up my my sheep man and telling him to book in, a, book in another thousand, uh, book in another thousand lambs to come and come and graze my grass. I'd be looking to try and get it in a bale or or something, um, because um, you know we just don't know what's what's around the corner next year. No. Okay, so on 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 the back of that, what does the milk forecast look like? Um, well, unsurprisingly, with uh, all this grass about, um, the milk in you know this quarter three has been up on last year, mm-hmm. and um, I suspect that this is going to continue for a few more weeks yet, as we uh, as we you know sort of head into the uh, the bottom of the trough, um, which you know will n- normally occur uh, late late August, just before the autumn carvers start to. Uh, um really really kick in and and put some milk in the tanks um but looking further forward i think it's when we get to the housing period that um we're likely to see quite a big change um in that um supply dynamic uh good forage supplies um a very poor milk price feed price ratio um will mean that you know the decision will be taken on a lot of farms that they'll ease back on the cake uh, this autumn, um, whereas last year it was almost a necessity to to feed cake to make up for some of the forage shortfall. Um, so my prediction is that we will be seeing uh, milk supply drop below last year in quarter four um, and um, quarter one next year particularly um, could see an even bigger drop relative to um, the start of this year because, you know, bearing in mind the phenomenal uh, outputs that we saw um in the early part of 2022 yeah and- big miss strikes again <laughs> <laughs> well you know i like to put my head on the block yeah yeah, um, nice then. <laughs> yeah again um obviously, obviously we haven't got bad news walkland with us uh live this week and and you know prices are down at the moment but i mean i guess that's that's that is a positive isn't it at least we've all got lots of grass lots of maize how do you how do you judge sentiment at the moment paul 
Well, you, you do always ask me that question whenever I'm on, don't you, Will? Uh, so, uh, um, yeah. I just like you to. I like you to want to cheer people up, Paul. <laughs> well, I'm not going to do that this morning, I'm afraid. Okay. Um, the uh, I think perhaps we, you know, if we just put a little bit of context on it, if we look at the um, August milk price league table, um, there's around a 15 pence a litre difference between the top and the bottom price based if you base it on a standard liquid litre um and you know by far and away the majority of producers are going to be towards the bottom end of that range so for a few um it's still okay but um without sort of putting too fine a point on it for the majority things are pretty horrible out there now yeah um all the feel good from last year has evaporated and uh confidence has taken a real beating over the last few months um yes some of the costs have come back but um obviously some of those price increases that we saw last year um are sort of embedded um and uh, will continue to be so um and then we've got something that we haven't seen for you know sort of 12 15 years is that interest rates are really starting to uh, make a big difference um for the you know more heavily geared businesses on particularly those you know with uh, with a lot of money borrowed on variable rates um you know market signals which um i'm sure chris has, uh, has has gone over in sufficient detail um we know i think the signals are that we're looking at the turn of the year before we see much in the way of uh, price rises um by which time sort of any of the surplus cash that was built up in businesses last year will be long gone um and overdrafts will be climbing rapidly again so yeah, overall, it's not really a very happy place just at the minute, Will. Mm, no, no. Okay. Paul, you're stepping into Chris's shoes very well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, that's a quick question, Finn, on liquid versus granular first. Um, I suppose specifically for grassland, um, why might there be a higher uptake in the arable sector but still less so in grassland, do you think? Um it's a relatively easy one, and it comes down to the the, the farm infrastructure, um, and more specifically, then around um, the applicator that the farm does or doesn't have. So, so typically, for for using liquid fertilizer, you would want a um, a higher capacity sprayer to apply that product, um, and it doesn't it doesn't and primarily or always have to be a, a higher output sprayer um, or a, or a tra- um, self-propelled sprayer. But that is the tendency of what we see, um, Ben. What I would um, add in as, as in amongst that is we, uh, what I personally have continued to see over the last two years, a rise in the percentage between the two, um, as in arable or grassland growers. So there are more grassland growers um, as their kit becomes higher capacity, um, they are going to liquid fertilizer, and, and I would probably argue that um, a grassland um, grower, or primarily grassland grower, that is on a multi-cut system or is cutting a lot, would would see major benefits from liquid, just around the fact that 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 nutrition is in solution already, so we're not requiring that granule to break its way down and, and move from the soil profile. You've got application to crop edge. And actually, for a um, a grass farm, 
primarily or predominantly they they do have levels of dirty water storage in the yard so the siting of a liquid tank isn't an issue we've just got to find a concrete area that's pinned down to so i think yes we still do see a swing towards arable units using liquid fertilizer due to kit and, and capacity but but application rates are are okay they're 150 to 200 liters a hectare would be typical application rate of liquid fertilizer so actually, if you've got a tractor-mounted sprayer of 2,000 litres, you know, you're still able to do 10 to 15 acres perhaps per sprayer tank fill, which actually is not then too dissimilar to what you would be doing with a spinner full of solid fur. Mm-hmm. So it, how, I think how, it, does it, how does it compare in, in terms of cost effectiveness? Costings are directly comparable then. If it, and the way that I look at it every single year, um, because within the business, I... I sell or talk or discuss solid liquid and foliars so um each year when we see our new season fertilizer pricing or if a grower asks me to compare fertilizer systems um consistently liquid solid is directly comparable on a pence per kilo event um i could you know or you could at periods in the year show one to show a massive saving over the other because there's always a bit of a delay between the two products and their moving price. But on average, Ben, you are, you're not spending any more, but you're getting a greater accuracy and application to crop edge. So you could say there's a um, yield to be gained there then rather than a saving to be made. And the, the kind of uptake that Finn was describing there, Paul, does that sort of ring true with kite clients? Um, well, if I you know, speaking my my customers particularly, um, we've uh, we've got some farms are using uh, liquid for first cuts and then going granular uh, later in the season. Um, but for, um, for for the majority, um, it's still a generally a contractor's operation because of the kit that Finn's already described, and also um, you know the, the the infrastructure as far as the storage tanks and so forth are concerned um hasn't really worked its way through to uh the livestock side of things um in in massive numbers yet but uh, you know that being said um i really like the extra accuracy of a liquid based system um on uh, on a lot of uh, livestock farms we've got smaller more awkward shaped fields and if you know if you can go into a corner and shut your boom sections off sequentially um it's obviously going to be much more efficient in terms of fertilizer use and um you know the 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 uh the ability to spread to the edge of the crop so much more accurately is uh as, as finn said is another big plus from a you know from a uh, efficiency and um you know also a um a sustainability and environmental perspective too so um certainly i think it's one to one to watch um over the coming years yeah. And I think just to add into that, Paul, around the the tank or the storage of. So, uh, and again, I'm, I'm talking about this from a frontier perspective. But any any customer um, or anyone, any interested party in liquid fertilizer, um, any supplier or seller would would visit that grower, look at the products they are using currently, um, look at where they might site a tank, and then actually have a proper discussion on whether it would or wouldn't be appropriate and fit their system um because for for us as a business we site bulk storage tanks 
that remain frontiers, but then it's for the customer's use of liquid fertilizer. Um, and in, in almost all scenarios there, they are free of charge, but there remains that we put our product through it. So I, I think, Paul, you're right. Growers think about that storage and that puts them off that they think they've got to fork out however many thousand pounds for a bulk storage tank when actual fact there are businesses out there that can supply those tanks and support that grower um, for that um, level of accuracy you're referring to. Really good point. Okay. Um, let's start to round things up. Um, Paul, bringing this back to the milk price and the potential risks and rewards of forward buy-in, which is always a always a difficult one. What questions do you think listeners should be asking themselves at the moment? Well, probably the first thing that we have to remember is that the crops in the ground have no idea of the economic situation. And um, <laughs> if we want them to perform, uh, we need to look after them. So scrimping on inputs is is never a good plan. Um, we saw some knee jerk reactions in the sort of winter and spring of 2022, going back to the, uh, yeah. uh, the, the little history lesson that Finn gave us at the, um, in the earlier part of the discussion. And when prices first surged at that stage, there were a lot of people um, uh, sort of cut back on usage. And last year, particularly, that meant they missed out on first cut, which was the only time that we had much moisture about um, to to actually grow any fodder. And that put them even further on the back foot when uh, when the drought set in later in the year. So um, as Becky talked about, um, we, uh, we we think, you know, looking carefully at risk management to try and smooth the ever larger peaks and troughs in the market um, is got to be a good thing. And so taking cover when prices feel right, um, again, will uh, will we'll have to be sort of um, quite a high priority. And um, I suspect based on uh, Finn's predictions this morning, there might be some uh, there might be some busy, uh, busy offices in the fertilizer markets uh, uh, later on on Friday um, and first thing Monday morning. So um, uh, that uh, you know that that's some really really useful feedback for our for our listeners there, Finn. So um, yeah, um, the risk management side of things, obviously um, knowing um, the prices of the various products, uh, doing the maths to ascertain the best value for money product, but also making sure that it's the product that does the job. Is right for you know that particular crop or that particular farm, um, and then on a practical front, um, one thing to bear in mind this autumn is that you know with some very good forage supplies in clamps at the moment, this is a really really good time to think about reseeds um, as you can afford to take some ground out of production now. Um, there is a there is an upfront cost, um, but the rewards next year um, in terms of greater response to inputs better yields and quality from a new sward, et cetera, uh, will quickly um, quickly pay for themselves. And um, I've got to get this little bit in. The finally is, you know, make sure that you know the value of your organic manures um, and to use them as uh, efficiently as possible so that um, the uh, the purchased inputs are you know, absolutely complementary to what you're trying to do um, to, to, to get to max out your um, productivity. Thanks, I Paul. thought we'd gone a whole episode then without you mentioning SH1T, Paul. But no, <laughs> no. Couldn't couldn't possibly let that happen, Becky. You know me. 
<laughs> like to change the habits of a lifetime. <laughs> Finn, just just a quick quick comment from you on, on that. Is it any any sort of major buying opportunities at the moment, or anything anything you'd like um, to add? Um, so the so the absolute headlines would be for those growers. Um, and I'm generalizing here that would be leaning towards livestock businesses. Often storage is more of a challenge. I mean, it's either got feed stock or straw in any building. Um, yeah. And they tend, tend to prefer that Jan through till March delivery. So I really would point the nose that on the offer that CF have got out there at the moment, which, which is a little bit of a rare one where they're offering at the moment, a Jan through to March delivery at numbers similar to like Paul was referring to. So if we think about that, you, it's, it's a purchase based on kind of today's production costs, but that far ahead. So that would be the number one headline. Um, the other element would be if there are urea buyers out there, that, that urea has weakened a little bit um, whilst this uh, there's loads of purchasing going on in India. And then India take out a chunk of the market i'm talking millions of tons and then it moves the global market on so there's a little bit of a um, maybe some savings of 20 to 50 pound a ton to be made there potentially um and final bit we haven't really touched on much would be the pks um i think the pk the whole pk market would be described as firm to firming so it's it's moved 10 to 15 pound a ton over the last couple of weeks and we might see that steadily climb, but um, it's too far off for me to make a bit of advice on what DAP buyers would do between now and next spring. Big, big buyers, you know, if you're buying multiple loads, you might do some hmm. risk mitigation, uh, mitigation and put some in the shed. Um, but um, the here and now on PKs, if you're an autumn buyer, maybe maybe look at those in the short term. All right, fantastic. I think if Chris uh, Chris uh, Bad News Walkland has retired, we've got a ready-made uh, market um, replacement in Finn. Uh, so uh, look out for your phone phone call soon. Um, okay, uh, thank you very much um, to all our guests: Finley Hawkins, Paul Mesa, uh, and podcast producer Becky Leach. Thank you very much for listening. Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. We'll be back with you next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here. Never mind Finn getting a phone call. When Walkland hears that, I'll be getting one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not going to like that, Will.